Welcome to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay, where we discuss growth strategies both for business and a personal perspective, discussing all kinds of businesses, growth strategies, technology, investment strategy, and much more. We are meeting with entrepreneurs, investors, app developers, and property developers. Our vision is to help 10,000 business owners grow their businesses. Introducing our host, Matt Lindsay. Matt is a former banker and corporate financier. He now spends his time building his own companies organically and through acquisition, as well as raising capital for other businesses. Matt works with a wide variety of entrepreneurs and investors. Good afternoon and welcome to The Growth Show. Today's guest is Craig Boddington. Welcome, Craig. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Matt. How are you? Very good, thank you. So, so I gather from from your um, LinkedIn profile and other things that you're in sunnier climes than we used to hang out in. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, we we met one another, didn't we, back in uh, in the UK in London, and uh, yeah. So I've uh, it's been quite a travel, quite a journey for me since then. I've been. Yeah. Uh, retired, moved to Switzerland, lived around the world a little bit, and uh, I find myself now in central Florida. Wow, okay, amazing. So you haven't picked up the twang of the accent just yet, but I'm sure that'll come with time. <laughs> That's true. I I, uh, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, through, through my day, and I probably would chat a little bit more, I, I suppose, about what, I, what I'm up to. But um, sure. I, I have this uh, joke in it that I'm always playing, and it feels a bit tired now because I'm always using it like old you know, grandfather or dad jokes, you know, sort of thing. I'm often telling the Americans here that I'm uh, from deep South Alabama. And they kind of <laughs> try, and I love, I love living here. So, uh, you know, but they sort of look at me a bit strangely and, and then they say, yes, but I've worked really hard to lose the accent and gain the Queen's English, you know, <laughs> over, over the, <laughs> they kind of believe in me, but then as in life, you know, it's uh, not a good idea to start off a relationship with a lie like that. So I quickly unravel that, you know, and step back from that one. But yeah, so I haven't, I haven't uh, gained the uh, sort of twang, as you say, but certainly uh, it does help. I think often this James Bond sort of accent they <laughs> kind of like over here. It's quite funny, really, when you meet up with people like that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So by way of background, um, what I normally like to do is give a bit of introdu- an introduction in terms of how, how we met. And I think that it was, I don't know who introduced us, but we, we, we met, it must have been kind of 2006, 2007, around that kind of time, around I think. Time, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then we had a uh, interlude with a with a flamingo. We won't go into that in too much detail, but you know. No, what but lessons learned, lessons yes, learned. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And <laughs> I think some of the people involved in that learn more lessons than others. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, there's um, yeah. And and obviously, I I think at one point we had a limited company together where we were looking, looking to do some do some acquisitions, which which at that point didn't didn't transpire. Um, And I know, you know, from historically that you were on. Was it was it the first Harbour Club with Jeremy Harbour? Second, actually. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah I, I I would have been on the first one, but it's like a lot of these things. I, I procrastinated. It was for me, it was a really high ticket at the time for me to pay out, and I I just kicked the can down the road and beat myself up for a couple of months, and said no, put my big boy pants on and uh, jump in and do it. Uh, yeah, and uh, I suppose that I, I haven't haven't looked back since. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. And and oh, we ha- we had Jeremy on as a guest, and I think it's that, that had the highest views. So hopefully you can continue that. That um, that, <laughs> oh, wait, that that's a big that's a big uh, act to follow, Jeremy. Yeah, he's. Uh, <laughs> he, he, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so obviously we met. When, I, I think it's when I was in banking. I was working for HBOS and around that kind of time. Um, and then, then obviously, yeah, you you were you were beginning that kind of journey of acquiring the first companies. And I remember you kind of had a was it a marketing company and maybe a print company, something like that. Was that right? Yeah, I had a whole range of companies. You know, um, yeah, 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 all across the board. A bit of a shotgun approach. You know, we took at the time. Um, right. If it uh, if there was a demand a need, uh, if it, if it quacked, <laughs> it looked yeah. like a, a business that we could acquire. Uh, we would jump in and acquire it. Um, 
a lot there's some flaws in that you know that strategy because it, was, it wasn't really focused and uh, you do really need that otherwise you become you know uh, amass a whole load of business opportunities businesses and there's no real synergies between them you know it's a you know baker candlestick maker etc all pulled together and you can't really make them work that well so having uh, you know a focus strategically on specific uh, sectors yeah. albeit campaigns does make sense yeah Okay, and, and and just just in terms of your kind of background and you know bit a bit of bit of your history, so 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 wh where did you grow up and you know what, yeah. what's your kind of early early career? If we can get that that bit of context yeah, as well, absolutely. So yeah, early career, I was uh, we had a construction business, a family family construction business. I'm I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur, so we'd had you know running businesses in, in our uh, blood, if you will. Um, Fortunately, my father was very ill um, at the time and we had to sort of, I took over the business. I, I think, you know, I'd like to think it wasn't purely down to me, but a, a few years later, we had to close the business down, mainly because it was partly a recession, but I'd like to think it wasn't my incompetence <laughs> running the, <laughs> the business. But again, massive lessons learned, you know, in terms of liquidating the company and uh, starting again. So I then went on, uh, spent a little bit of time in the uh, regular army and came out, so a bit of time in the forces and then came back out and... Um, Picked up, picked back up uh, in, in business and um, started to do some IT uh, training and uh, IT uh, uh, project management. And that really, that's my journey sort of started then into more change and transformation management, running major change programs globally for some very, very large corporates. And then over the years, I think uh, we mentioned Jeremy, you know, the Harbour Club. I, I, I came to like a, what I think might have been a midlife crisis. <laughs> I got to this point where I thought I, I was really frustrated by going back into these organizations and um, constantly redoing what other people have done or, or you know, paint, it's like painting the fourth road bridge, you know, sure. whilst I was working with great people, uh, but not really, I felt I wasn't really working with entrepreneurs. Hence sure. that, you know, that was my background. So I was looking around as, you, as one does. Saw Jeremy um, at some uh, event. It was a bit of one of those pitch fests, you know, people just presenting and trying to sell things. What was really interesting about Jeremy, he, he didn't pitch anything. He just told his story. Right. And it was all about how he managed to, you know, his uh, approach to M&A, his journey of having buying companies. And it resonated with me. Having done an MBA myself, you know, I, I thought, that wow, that nothing what he told me there was included in any of our M&A electives, you know, if you right. will. And so I thought, but it, it seemed to work well. And I thought, well, if I take my transformational skills yeah. and professional skills and took this co uh, construct of uh, the approach for M&A through the, the, how the Harbour Club does it, and then Jeremy, this, this, this is great. Um, very early days, it was a different construct, of course, there, where it was a group of six of us on, on each course, and we actually bought the first company, uh, and that we'd share that. In fact, that was my, my first deal. In fact, I managed to get the deal closed. In fact, to be fair, Jeremy closed it for me. Whilst we were in a meeting, I was going, what's happening? And literally managed to acquire this um, uh, HVAC company uh, through this plumbing merchant's parent company. Right. And the guys were simply saying, look, I'm, um, uh, we chatted for about an hour, if you will, about, about, uh, the, about his problems. It seemed to me like all he wanted was a mentor. And then he happened to mention, oh, and I've got this HVAC company down the road I've owned for several years. It's bleeding me dry, about 17000 um, a month. You know, I have to keep paying to support it. And Jeremy immediately picks up on that and said, oh, I, I think uh, maybe we can have a chat. If we took that off your hands, you'd be seventeen grand better off, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, you're right. And so uh, we went off for lunch, went to talk to another company that didn't, that deal didn't go through, uh, but came back, literally uh, sat down with him, drafted up the sale and purchase agreement and acquired the business there and then from the guy yeah. uh, for, for a pound. Walked out. It was a bit like, I, I reminisce about it sometimes. I think it's a bit like if you've ever been to McDonald's and you, you, uh, you walk away, you've ordered your Big Mac, large fries and, uh, and a Coke. And uh, you walk and you open the bag and they've got, they've got an extra Big Mac in there. And you think, he's made a mistake. He's going to call me back in a minute. And it was just like, no, he didn't. He just followed us uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, the, um, uh, to, the new, to the company and introduced us as the new, new owners of the company. So, so, um, so you got, got your money's worth out of Jeremy, because I know that those original Harbour Clubs didn't it involve a private jet journey down to his yeah that's right yeah it was all very experiential private jet to an island in the med and all this sort of thing it was a great experience <laughs> uh, i laugh also about that you know if you've ever been in one of these small little jets and you get a bit of turbulence and you happen to 
at the wrong time decided to go to the toilet and you've got this little bulkhead <laughs> pushing your head down it's not pretty it's a bit messy <laughs> to be honest with you so it's not all quite as luxury as it may may seem at this size you know but i think jeremy now has gone to success a lot of success and uh, i think he's got his own jet now so he certainly doesn't have to worry about um uh you know traveling in um you know normal commercial flights yeah, yeah, no, he's yeah. I think there's a jet and a couple of boats as well. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he's got his toys. He's got his toys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And I think he, he he lives in Dubai at the moment. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think he, he uh, and unfortunately his wife um, is we're current you know on, on topic at the moment. She's from uh, Kiev, right? So uh, from the Ukraine. So they're a little bit worried. So they're, I think they're trying to get the family out at the moment. But he he's got a place in I believe in uh, in Kiev and also in Dubai and Singapore. Yeah. 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 No, interesting. Yeah, so so you you kind of cut cut the cut the apron strings so to speak, and then then went out on yourself and 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 did the began yeah. to began to do these agglomerations. Yeah, right. Was, that, was yeah. that the model? Yeah, yeah, well, partly yes. I mean, over the years, you know, we've um, uh, you know, I, I after doing this one deal, I then dropped straight into this and actually, um, you know, effectively was working very closely with Jeremy, ran the Harbour Club with him for several years, right, and then uh, you know. Got a lot of deal, a lot of exposure to MA because all the deals came through Jeremy and I uh, that the all the Harbour Clubbers were doing. So really got a, a massive exposure to um, transacting deals. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned is you can read about this MA, you can even learn if you if you've done a, a your degrees and MBAs, etc. But it's about execution sure. at the end of the day and uh, figuring out you know the, the the right route where the sand traps are that you know etc being able to navigate around these things um but doing it in you know in, in the right way you know setting yourself up at you know a very ethical congruent ecological way uh, certainly that's the way and there's a number of people out there uh we know teaching like jeremy does in in sort of these uh, m a entrepreneurial m a if you will and um yeah you know different different approaches put it that way uh, sure. to this yeah. Okay. And, and and so that that first acquisition, how did that lead to? Because I know you had a fairly substantial exit. How did what what was that journey like? So so you know, company number one to um, yeah, building building that kind of portfolio that you exited with. What 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 yeah. what what were the kind of the, the things that the things learned on that journey? And also at the same yeah. time, yeah, what what was what was the journey? Yeah, I mean. I, I think what happened for me, my journey was that I, I thought this works, this stuff works. So I, I, I was uh, doing interim work before being parachuted into these large corporates and uh, transforming them. I quickly closed those down, kind of went cold turkey on it and, and went straight into the MA. And um, as I said, it was a journey where we were learning. And, and so it was a very steep learning curve for me. But it took, uh, it, was a, it was a case of um, feast and famine at times, you know, you, you would, you know, you'd get deal businesses in and then what often would happen we would uh you know, at the time a lot of the transactions were distressed acquisitions it was during the recession yeah and um uh, you know like like potentially now i think we've got another uh, sort of tsunami of your bigger than it was before mm. i know before the uh, we, we started the call we were just chatting a little bit about that and perhaps we'll pick up on it in a bit yeah. but the uh, my my kind of journey was that I, you know, went cold turkey, went into doing this, and then um, acquired a lot of small to medium uh, businesses across a number of different uh, entities. Um, the lessons I kind of learned there was, um, as we mentioned earlier, try not to do this shotgun approach. You know, have somewhat of a, a thesis that you're going to work a strategy, or be a build a campaign. You may say, look, I, I, I want to. Um, you know, start off with you know looking at companies perhaps where I have some um, experience in. Or I've got, you know, where I can show credibility, or where I've got uh, passion for. Because when you when you speak to entrepreneurs, you know, you want to be able to demonstrate this level of empathy and understanding. You've walked that same journey in in their shoes, if you will, uh, for that time. Understood what's going through their minds, etc. And and uh, uh, they're, they're invariably, obviously, interested in the end number they want to get to. But for them, more often than not, it's also important to know you're a safe pair of hands for their legacy. And sure. to, to be able to demonstrate that. And in doing so, what we often found um, was that when I was just doing a shotgun approach, you know, we, we would, wouldn't really get into the, um, you know, be able to understand that level of um, industry knowledge you might need or the challenges and issues they were facing. Um, but, but if you actually focus on having a conversation with, 
you know, uh, where you're going, I'm going to focus on, say, construction. We mentioned HVAC. I'm going to look at HVAC, HVAC companies. And then you start having conversation perhaps with 10 companies. On the 10th company, you find this one company is the ideal avatar for what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's the size, there's the motivations, uh, it's got the right, you know, all the right kind, uh, uh, sort of measures in there and elements in there you're looking for. You know, there's a good management team in place, etc. So the owner leaves, it's not an issue around uh, succession uh, and, uh, and so on. And then you turn around and you think, hold on a minute, company number four I spoke to had, at the time, perhaps I didn't know what to do with it, whether there was a deal there to be done. But now, knowing what company number 10 needs in terms of maybe there's it needs a product or a market or maybe needs some leadership in the business because the owner was very much involved is exiting company number four has has those perhaps as in in the situation in this example and so you're able to then go back to company number four strike a deal with them and turn around and then come back to company number 10 and then say yeah i'm bringing with me this um this solution this revenue the, this uh, market this product whatever it may be solving the problem from the business point of view but also there's some of solving the problem for the entrepreneur as well in terms of what their needs are showing yes we've got a good solid team here that's going to look after my legacy uh, mm. as well yeah. So, yeah, we, uh, we learned lessons like that. And so there was a lot of lessons that we sort of learned over the years. And so as a result, that body of knowledge that you amass over the years uh, really ena- now enables us to really be very, very efficient and effective, having knowing, you know, now I'm not going to make that mistake again and yeah. figuring out different strategies. You know, there's, there were times where we would acquire companies and then so focused on doing the deals placed our general manager or general managers into the businesses to operate them. And then these plates were spinning. We were busy. I was busy doing deals. And then beginning some plate or didn't notice some plates had broken and, or the GM had gone, gone native. We've had that in the past, you know, solid guy that we thought was in there. Uh, suddenly when I say gone native, uh, we had the business owners still in the, in the company, they started collude together and uh, you know, ended up. You know, we 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 you know, ended up saying, look, just have the business. We're walking away because it became such a problem child. You know, and it wasn't worth the juice. Wasn't worth the squeeze, even to um, uh, to litigate with them. Lessons learned over things like that. We now have strategies that say, okay, and these are obvious things. Now I think back. You know, mm-hmm. we would uh, we'd have strategies to deal with these sort of things where we don't have to just simply say, oh, I have the business back. We can actually facilitate, uh, you know, a smoother exit and, and to recover, you know, capital that we've invested into the companies as well. But there's just an example of these lessons that you learn over the years. And I think that's the reality of um, the, or this entrepreneurial M&A that, that one does here. Um, it, it's about, you know, doing one deal, you learn about the challenges and the issues on that one deal. Do 10 deals, you've now started a mass of knowledge because it's uh, where you might have um, you know, a particular strategy that you've read or you, you've, you may be fallen into and understood. Um, what often happens, people tend to focus just on that one strategy and try to get every opportunity you know, jammed into that uh, you know, uh, thri- uh, square peg in, uh, in, in a uh, triangle you know, hole, you know, trying to force it to happen. That's not how uh, really it, it works. You, know, you need typically... Um, we learned over the years to uh, make sure that when you would talk to a business owner, you're actually um, going in with very open eyes, open ears, open heart to figure out what their problems are, both in the business, but also emotionally speaking, mm. because people want to get to an end number when they're trying to sell their company. Mm. Um, but why are they looking to sell? Why do they need to sell? What, why does it need to be that number? You know, what's yeah. the motivation behind it? And when you get to build that empathy and understanding with an owner, you um, uh, you get to understand those co- those real needs. What the what's the nightmare stories that are going through their mind? You know, what's the what's keeping them awake at night? How's it affecting their behaviour? You get to hear about all oh, their their story, and that's really really important because we're then able to put together the deal structures, daisy chain them together to solve the problem. Not coming in with a saying I'm just going to do a property carve out type solution, or I'm just going to do uh, an LBO. That's it. You know. And then putting together a, a, a terms and conditions that might say, yeah, you're going to have to stay in here for three years in the business. But they may have a sick child uh, that they need to look after. Maybe they've got a family they want to spend, uh, go and spend time with. You know, you need to understand the real underlying motivations. 
Okay, and and in terms of the um, you know obviously in in lots of lots of different aspects, people you know pitch these things of you can buy buy businesses or buy real estate for no money down. You've done it right, and this isn't yeah, awesome. yeah. this is real. Uh, yeah? And and, and, uh, and uh, you know the reality is that you know it, there's that these like no money down deals you know that you hear absolutely can do them, but it's a it's a relatively uh, uh, you know, subset of the overall landscape of deals sure. that you one can do, yeah. uh, and that's what I was talking about when you when you're talking to business owners, you 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 get to realise you know no this isn't really a no money down type deal. These guys have got a great business, mm. but if you understand the motivations mm. really well and you build massive amount of empathy, and you focus on what what we call a deal pie, and Jeremy might have mentioned this is something that the Harbour Club really focuses at the core of its strategies. Um, it's about a deal pie where we, we, if we understand the needs, in other words, if they're really worried about uh, the personal guarantees they have, yeah, uh, we say, well, look, we can resolve, we can resolve those, and say, well, actually, we also want to, uh, we have this debt hanging over our shoulders, or, or whatever it may be that, uh, or like um, family debt, you know, we want to pay, you know, want to pay off. Okay, well, we can figure that out. We'll solve that problem for you. Mm. If we do that, that solution you bring to the table. In a, in, in a situation where they were just completely lost, they didn't know what to do. Mm. Uh, you know, the motivations where there may be a baby boomer looking to retire, they've got no succession planning in place and they want to leave, they want to move on and go and retire. They've, they perhaps retired once, COVID came along and had to come back in the business. Mm. And then they feel like they're going to die with their boots on. <laughs> and their, their wife or the spouse is saying to them, you know, when are we going to spend time? When are we going to retire? Mm. You know, I've retired, you know, she may have been drafted into the business over the years. And the uh, founders, you know, uh, the owner saying, well, I, I, I really want to give back to my wife, but I, I can't. I'm stuck in the business. If you can solve that problem, how much is that worth to them? Mm. You know, it could be worth a significant amount, portion of that deal pie, if you will. And if you do that and if you build up the empathy and the, the understanding, really, well, it can amount to as much as 100 percent of the, uh, the transaction sometimes. Mm. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't, because naturally you, 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 you do need to. Um, uh, have access to capital, you know, as an yeah. example, you know, um, uh, or it's going to be, you know, you're, you're going to be doing a lot of searching and sourcing to find that highly distressed deal. That's absolute distressed deals where there's a, their balance sheet is, you know, full of holes, you know, um, it's very difficult to, you know, pay what the owner may conceive and believe the business is worth or what they need it to be worth. Mm. The market, you know, look at the balance sheet could be contingently insolvent. And you know, only a fool would go. Here you go. Here's you know, a couple of million dollars or pounds for that for that business. When it's <clears throat> when it's uh, what you're doing is buying probably uh, several million dollars worth of uh, like debt, uh, you know, or insolvent, you know, debt. So in that situation, you would have to um, you're going to have to do a lot of turnaround transformation to fill that the black hole up in the balance sheet before you actually get to a positive position. Yeah. Whereas a going concern. Yeah, you 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 you're going in with a business. Um, if you structure your uh, your the deal pie and the the empathy side, uh, uh, and you've got you you perhaps do a bit of leverage in the deal uh, to just get get to the number they're looking for. You've got an immediate cash flow coming in yeah. from the business. Whereas yeah. with a distressed acquisition, absolutely, if you've got no money, no access to capital right away, probably distressed deals are a good idea. But it's not just distressed deals that you can, you know, acquire uh, for a dollar to just solving a problem for them. Perhaps using a lot of, uh, you know, insolvency law, uh, re, you know, financial restructuring, etc., to get them over. And it, it's alchemy when you do something like that. Mm. So um, that is, it can be great. But I, I actually fell out of love. Actually, one of the lessons I learned here, uh, I fell out of love doing distressed deals uh, for a while because, uh, you know, we're doing all this work. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't really, at the end of the day, after we removed debt and then uh, tidied things up, there wasn't really much left. There wasn't really much in the way of revenue and size, you know, scale within the business. So you know, a lot of work, but not a great level of return. But cathartically, it, it does you good because you're helping people, you know, if, if you're in that mindset. So you're really helping people get in from a very dark place and solving their problems. That really, does, that's what we do like. Mm. Um, and often you're doing it in in, in partnership with them because they may want to stay on you're not simply buying a company take advantage of uh, an individual's you know uh, situation but far from it you're actually solving a problem for them if they choose want to move on and just hey i've had enough i want to move on fair enough often they want to come with you want some help to get beyond this and solve the problem um but we found i found you know that some of the deals we're doing frankly were too small 
Right. Trying to do a distress deal. You know, the reality is, and a lot of the maybe some of the advice I might give today on, on this call with you, um, I think back and these people might say, well, that's obvious. But it's not obvious when, you, when you're, you're deep in the weeds doing this, you know, um, and you, you're somewhat blinkered. But, you know, you step back a little bit and start to look at this, perhaps, you know, talk to people or listen to these sort of programs. You, you'll get a sense of, um, ah, there's different ways of looking at it. And I, uh, the thing to do with that in the distress deal, make sure the materiality level, the size of the business is a lot bigger. Size matters in, in M&A generally and, and in business generally. Uh, so instead of looking at a business that might be doing sub a, a million dollars, you know, uh, in revenue, um, go for one that you know was doing 20, 30 million in revenue, um, knowing that actually, and it may have a, a hundred million of debt in there, knowing that you can deal with that debt and and sort of through court approved schemes, etc., and so on, so on, just restructuring, you can you can remove a lot of that debt and create a you know overnight. Is alchemy, as I mentioned, where you can you know take a business, and we've done this many times, where we might have a business that might be losing, five, say, five hundred thousand uh, uh, on its balance sheet, and uh, we remove um, that debt from the business, restructure a few things on the balance sheet, and we we able overnight then to even if the revenue drops a little bit, um, convert that uh, business from doing a five hundred thousand loss to five hundred thousand uh, get profit. Right. Now that's right. a million million uh, in delta. You're going to have to do a lot of work to, to in, a, in a small to medium enterprise to, uh, uh, to actually increase its profit uh, from uh, by, by, a million, by a million pounds or a million dollars. You know? So that's why well, I like. Now I've figured that out. We, we, we do a lot of um, uh, those distress deals like that. Other ones where there's no money down type, uh, type of transaction. And I should point out, uh, I know we were talking about the Harbour Club, but, you know, um, it, I want to disabuse everybody of the fact that people think of the, these sort of things like these trainings are all about no money down type. Absolutely not. It's just a one strategy in, in amongst, you know, 15, 16 different strategies that one might, you know, deploy. As I said, you figure out the problem in daisy chain, the right ones together. It happens to need a, a bit of distress in it. We can use that strategy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're not going to pay market price at that, after that. Once you fix the problem, then you say, okay, now we fixed it. We can then, by you know, by the remainder of the business, you know, the remainder of the shares or, or proportion of the shares, that sort of thing. So, really important. We found that um, learning from, from by doing effectively is is very very key. And the other time when no money down type deal works really well is when you, you know, I said earlier we you know you've been talking it's about I was saying um, HVAC companies and you've spoken to ten of them because you've got a bit of a campaign you're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we find is really useful when you do that. You, you find one business and then suddenly you acquire that. Then you suddenly find others and you start bringing them together. And we start then to create a little group of companies, a roll up. And uh, if you thematically then say, oh, yeah, um, I want to, I, I've seen we're getting some traction in construction or uh, electrical mechanical engineering or manufacturing or whatever, these sectors. And we're currently rolling up a number of different sectors like that, where we can identify these businesses that, that um, we can put together a proposition that's very compelling where you know, we can help them solve these problems that are inherently baby boomers or, or even Generation X type guys who are looking for someone to come in and help them take the business to the next level, they can see this is a mechanism by which they'll be able to uh, realise the value they're seeking. Because we take two companies, you know, modestly you know, valued companies, bring them together. They might have got an individual three, 3x multiple of, of profit. But mm-hmm. by bringing these companies together, we get a bigger group and we can we start to get you know, six 10, 12 times multiple, just by not, not doing anything within those businesses, just by bringing them together. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some natural synergies can take place, obviously, where we might want to, you know, take one and fix a bit of the, pro- uh, that, it's like company four, I was mentioning earlier, fixes the problem in company number 10, yeah. um, because it had a solution for company number 10. There are natural organic synergies, but just having them together, uh, then creates you know, a stronger balance sheet, gives them the ability to, uh, you know, perhaps in a, in a commercial contracting, would be able to secure uh, bigger contracts because they can point to a group holding with a stronger balance sheet. And therefore, this one contract's not going to, with, their, with the corporate procurement team, would look at the company, the supplier, the, this company and say, this contract's going to equate to more than 30% of your, uh, your turnover. Now, I think you're a little bit risky. <laughs> you, know, you know the score, you know. So by now you can put no 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 we're part now of a multi-million dollar uh, you know group of companies and they go oh, 
great. And it opens up the door. Bonding levels, you know, can start easy and grow a bonding level in construction so you can tackle bigger, more lucrative projects and so on and so on. Yeah. Mm. No, interesting. Um, what do you think during during that journey? Um, clearly, you've learned a lot. And as, as, as you say, I think the execution of these things is the only really real way to learn. You've got to, I, th I think that, you know, that thing of jumping in with both feet, if you don't do it, you're not doing it properly and you're not doing it fully. Um, so so what, what, what do you think the biggest mistake was that you've made on that journey? Oh, I, 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 hard to say is one. <laughs> it's probably a, a loads. But for me, making mistakes is what, what it should be about because we only learn from those mistakes. And it's a, I know a lot of people say that, but it, it's an absolute truth. Certainly my, my experience, uh, try not to make those mistakes more than once. Um, that's obviously key. I suppose one of the biggest things I, um, I would say would be I've learned that whenever we do a deal, <clears throat> do any transaction, it, it could be a joint venture where people are you know, partnering with me um, or an acquisition, anything in business, even in life yourself, only work with people that you mutually like, trust, respect, and admire. That sixth sense, you know, in, in understanding what your values are and, and making sure that I only want to work with people where mutually we like, trust, respect, and admire. Mm. Then I think really focusing on understanding the problem. Don't go in with a, um, like, a, 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 this is what my, this is what I'm only going to deal with. You know, I, I, I'm looking for, you may have any back in mind, you're looking for particular characteristics of business. That's fine. Sure. But not forcing an acquisition down a particular route, a solution, the, the um, deal structure down the route that clearly is, uh, you know, is not serving the, the, the owner, the seller of the business. So what we do, what we've learned is always to um, really, Present yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur. Right. One of the things that people often do when they start the space, if they have not come, <clears throat> if they haven't got a years of M&A experience, not come from a you know, big uh, M&A firm or anything like that, or VC, um, they have to, they think, oh, I'm going to have to reinvent myself. Uh, and uh, they, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome comes in and that holds them back a little bit. They, they build out a website. They, uh, they create, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the new company, but you know, reality is that someone can do is a who is look up, can't they, on the domain and see it was registered last week. The yeah. company look at company's house and see it was registered set about the same sort of time. The whole credibility gets blown out. So one of the uh, advice I, I regularly give to people starting here is to be yourself. Look at your own uh, CV on LinkedIn. Just tweak it a little bit. And actually, when people ask you and you put this in your bio, say that I've been blessed to have been very, very successful in my career to date. And then now taking that uh, experience and then applying it to businesses that I'm now acquiring to help yeah. them grow scale. It tells them everything, you know, that you've got experience, which is true. You look at your, your resume, your yeah. background, mine, et cetera, where we started from. You're not trying to, you know, be someone you're not. Yeah. Uh, and that's about the, the congruence of, sure. of it being congruent for yourself. And it makes you feel a lot more relaxed. You can lean back and just have those conversations when they ask you, well, how many deals have you done? Uh, and, and you say, well, no, this is my first deal. Um, I, I, I'm, so I'm really, I'm, I'm really keen to make sure it's the right deal. Right now, I don't know it's the right company for me. So next I ask you, where's your money coming from? Sure. You simply tell them it's coming from a combination of my own net worth and those of my financial backers. Because you typically will need to have some financial backing behind you sure. uh, to do and, um, but, you know, right now you'll say to them, I don't really know if this is a business that I uh, want to acquire, but, well, I'll be able to provide you with a proof of funds. And this is how my uh, acquisition process works. And it makes it, you know, you're, le you're, you're leveling up, so to speak, and being a lot more professional, uh, having yeah. a, a conversation. But ultimately what you end up doing, whether it's through a broker or through direct uh, with the seller, uh, you're just having a great conversation about and, and uh, understanding their needs, their nightmare scenarios, really understand what the problem is first, then you can test some little strategies, things, you know, what they, would they be interested in a deferred consideration? Are they interested with staying on if, if, if they like the proposal? We understand that your priority here is to go and uh, move out of state here in the US and perhaps go from uh, Colorado to, uh, to Texas or something like that for, for family reasons. Um, so, okay, so we need to make sure you, you can achieve that quickly. Uh, and then you, you, you build up what's important to you and then being able to then come back to them with a solution that gets them to their number. Yeah. I, um, I found that actually, if you, if you demonstrate that knowledge and that empathy 
and you maintain that, you bring yourself onto the same side of the table as them you're, you're, to, to a certain extent. You know, um, and particularly uh, around funding, we particularly do our funding for our deals where we can fund up to about $50 billion per transaction now because of our backing that we have with the hedge funds. Um, it means? So, so we, got, we, we never get to that size right now. But um, reality is that we, uh, what we're doing when we speak to entrepreneurs, we're, we're looking to uh, solve a problem, demonstrate we're a safe pair of hands for them and, uh, and being very um, yeah, ecological. You know, not seeking to do any harm, being congruent about what we're doing. That's very, very important. Yeah. And then as a result of that, we're really able to, uh, you know, come up with the right solution for them. And, uh, and in fact, we position ourselves as being, we're here to get you to your end number. Yeah. We don't really quabble a great deal about their end number. All right, maybe they, they think the business should be worth 4 million, but in reality, it's only worth three. We'll find a way to get them to the 4 million as long as they are willing to be flexible on the terms sure and it comes back to the point where you know we're working on the, uh, with them as being where we like trust respect and admire one another now if yeah. you build that relationship there, there's this um sense of the, that we are all working together to to yeah. get this deal over the line and as a result uh, we you know one of our funding strategies we can take you know we typically finance or rather value a business as a a multiple of profit plus the cash, less working capital. Generally speaking, sometimes we have to throw in uh, AR, uh, accounts receivable. Uh, sometimes work in progress goes in. Uh, they, you know, they, there's, there's different things and, and, and different schools but of thoughts about how you should value a business. But reality is when you're valuing the business, um, you know, you, um, it's subjective. You know, we don't need to, um, uh, you know, uh, my way of valuing the business might be different to yours. What's, what's important about can we make it work? Do the numbers add up, and can we, and do we feel there's a way to get it there? And if and if you if you feel like that, and you know that you can actually raise the capital for it, uh, and and you've, you 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 can um, uh, put together a deal structure that means that you can maybe they're accepting some deferred consideration, um, and you know the finance costs for the acquisition are such that the business can pay for it easily, even even if a black swan event happens like COVID, then sure. why not? Why not? Why not do the deal? Why not give them there? You know, get a deal together where they do get their four million, ultimately, yeah, yeah. rather than putting your heels in, dig your heels in and say, no, 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 that's silly. You're asking way too much for the business, and because no one likes to be told their baby is ugly, <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> so you have to you know be aware of that you're dealing with people's life's work, and in reality, what you're doing, you're picking up the bat uh, baton from them and running the last leg of the relay race uh, mm -hmm. when you speak to them. Yeah. Okay. And, and and so your just going back to your journey then. So you yeah. consolidated these 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 groups and obviously a huge amount of experience in doing that. What what how how did you exit? What was the kind of the, the exit? Um, it was a mixture, really, a mixture of uh, you know uh, trade exits, MBOs. Um, right. where, you know, we uh, managed to facilitate the manage uh, the existing management team to buy us out, right. and so, as well as um, a, a reverse merger into a listed vehicle. Right. So, okay. so we what an RTO. RTO. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Let's take over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and so that then gave you the opportunity to hang out in the Alps for a little while and do some skiing. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I, I moved moved to Switzerland. Lived in a lovely place called Vegas. Uh, so it's like it even got palm trees. Would you believe there? It's well, right. But it's across Lake Lucerne. Little micro climate, if you will. But what was really surreal about it? You know, I'd sit on this lovely deck and we'd look across the lake. To the Alps, and you see the storms coming in. We had a little ski mountain behind us, so I just walk around the corner, take the cable car up up to the ski hill, and a uh, lovely um, uh, restaurant and uh, spa there. So we'd hang out there for, for hours or days sometimes, or we get stuck up there having too much food and too much drink, and then realise the cable car had stopped. And we had to take the uh, the tram, you know, trolley tram down, and then catch it. Catch we didn't have Ubers then. <laughs> Try and get a taxi to come back round the mountain to get, get home uh, but yeah it was, it was a lovely time in my life you know really really enjoying myself yeah, yeah. And, and and so then there was a there was a an, an itch you had to scratch in terms of getting getting started again yeah yeah so so uh, that's right we decided uh, we were we were basically uh, my stepson's father lives in uh, Puerto Rico so we're constantly commuting from San uh, from uh, Zurich to San Juan 
and uh, it was getting a bit of a pain to be honest with you and uh, plus we uh, my uh, we have family here in Orlando uh, I'm right. married to a Colombian lady so uh, surrounded by Latinos <laughs> here which is lovely by the way and uh, lovely food and uh, yeah lovely environment we you know great parties all the time and things like that but we um, so we decided we'd move to here to the US um, my wife Sammy she's American citizen as well so we've uh, she very kindly got, helped me get my visa. <laughs> so I was on the end of getting a spousal visa. So I've, I, I'm a, a resident here in the US now. And, uh, you know, I sat down and when I arrived here and thought, what, what am I going to do? What project am I going to do? You know, um, and I uh, quickly bought a construction company locally and then flipped it straight away. Primarily to see if I still have my mojo, if you will, because it had been a few years since I'd done a few deals. Um, luckily, I had and the sort of market was really strong. And at that point, decided to set up um, my private equity firm, uh, Black House, and then also a transformational company, which is the engine, effectively, that we have our late stage incubator and accelerator in. And whenever we acquire a company, those companies go into our late stage incubator and accelerator to effectively help us ensure that the businesses we acquire are um, you know, well run, well managed and start and grow. And so I'm using my transformational knowledge in that area to, uh, with the team there to grow the companies and, and, and to secure the value. And uh, uh, Black House is being you know, a, a key uh, acquisition uh, you know, company that's go out and acquire the various companies and then have a, a um, finance arm as well that helps us you know, range for finance and, and provide financing uh, that really um, addresses a lot of the challenges that uh, people have out there. You know, things like the PGs being involved you know uh, we don't all of our lending that we arrange now for our deals and other people's deals uh, don't have any personal guarantees associated to them we typically pay a really good rate have really good rates on them that to be like a uh, uh, you know three uh, percent around three percent rate um, 10 year holiday interest only three years of um, uh, payment holidays and then just uh, the principal being paid off within the 10 years when we have deals like that and we do an LBO as an example it's that runway you create by not having any of the financial costs associated mm. to the acquisition for three years. And then after the three years in year four, you're only then to be paying the uh, interest off uh, on a monthly basis. It's, uh, it's fantastic. We, we're able to you know, now go in and acquire businesses 100%, 100% at close you know, and provide the cash and create, uh, you know, uh, you know, over leverage a little bit, you might argue uh, on it, but we have that uh, buffer built in so that over leverage gives an option for us to perhaps bring in a, a lot more working capital or in fact create capital events for ourselves yeah it's very important um so that's one of the things i learned kind of when we're talking about the distressed acquisitions we we built out a strategy uh called a working buyout strategy where to be sometimes it was the right type of deal we can um uh, charge fees secure our um our uh, exclusivity on a deal uh before we buy the company even and that creates a a, a revenue stream uh, through a deal. Uh, it's not always relevant. You can't do that in every case. And some people make that mistake and they, they um, try and uh, use this working buyout strategy to uh, end every deal. And it clearly falls flat on a number of situations. Um, and then obviously when we acquire a business, we typically create a capital event at that point. And then obviously throughout the operation of the business and growing, scaling it, that's uh, capital events happen there as well. Of course, dividends being paid and ultimately the real wealth generating uh, activities through creating that constructive exit mm. in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because you can get, it's easy to get into these situations, but sometimes difficult to get out if you haven't got that kind of foresight and experience of, um, of, of doing that. So, so if, if somebody's interested in this space, what advice would you give them to, to getting started? Um, I would, a lot of people struggle over the sourcing side to start with. Um, so I think the first thing would be, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, be, be congruent, you know, don't, don't overthink you know, that I've got to be uh, this, uh, you know, very experienced M&A guy, be yourself. That's the first thing. Um, that, that will bring, bring your own credibility as yourself, be, uh, be very congruent in that respect. Then I think around your sourcing, uh, a lot of people will get frustrated as hell with, uh, with uh, business brokers. Uh, and it's quite somewhat true. And um, any business brokers on the call, you know, please don't, don't lambast me over this. But the, it, the reality is that as there are in, in acquirers um, in this space, 
there's good players and bad players. There's experienced people and less experienced people. And that's the same in the brokerage world. And often uh, people, when they're in this, in this environment, they're, they're banging, banging heads, you know. Um, and the key thing, as I said earlier, you know, only work with people you like, mutually like, trust, respect, and admire. So in our case, we've, uh, you know, we're happy to work with brokers, as an example, because what we've realized is actually when we're sourcing, I can go out and do online campaigns, letter writing, et cetera, just like you might do with, you know, uh, with um, on property, you know, as an yeah. example. Lots of campaign uh, going out, letter writing campaigns, social media. But it's a bit of a shotgun approach as well. Long tail activity, isn't it? You never really know if you're going to, that letter is going to land on the desk of the business owner when they're in the mindset to actually say, yeah, I'm fed up with this business or I really want to sell, et cetera. It's a, it's a lottery. Yeah. However, if you want to really get volume and get the experience going, why don't you go directly to where people we know people are selling? Where they've already decided to sell, and that's through the listed network, broke, you know, the broker networks, etc. Sure. So going to places like the uh, biz buy sell or direct to the broker sites. But when you do that, just as you said earlier, you, you're going to spend a lot of time speaking to uh, the business owner, building up their empathy, understanding their problem, coming up with a solution. Why wouldn't you do that with the broker? Why wouldn't you? Because they are invest, they're vested into making sure this deal goes through. Because reality is that through their own um, the, uh, uh, professional bodies statistics only about one in ten of the uh, clients they have on their books as a broker do they actually succeed in selling their business that's a 90 percent failure rate terrible really a lot of the people you will speak to will say no we're not like that we're a lot better and i believe them they are yeah. but as i say this guy we have to you know statistics are there uh, that we can refer to however you think about it when you speak to a broker they they probably had that listing quite often um uh, maybe for quite a few months, maybe a, a couple of years even, mm. and they've been trying to sell the business. And that's really a key thing to understand how long the business has been on the market. And, and of course, when you come and speak to the broker, you're now suddenly the gold standard. This deal that you're talking to them about, it's now the gold standard. They want, because it's the one that's going to put food on their table. Yeah. So if you can actually think about their problem, they, they, they're dealing all the time with business owners that may be unrealistic, uh, problematic. They're having to try and manage their expectations. They're saying they want uh, four million and then the business is worth three or ten and only worth uh, four or something like that. And some really crazy uh, sometimes expectations. And so they've got a tough job. So what when when we get in, when we talk to business brokers, we we frankly interview them to start with. We talk to them about the deal, but we ask them three key questions: uh, How long have you been a broker? Uh, how many deals have you done in the last 24 months? Yeah. And can you give me an example of two or three really creative deal structures you, you, you're involved with? And if they're coming back with saying, oh, a couple of years, not a lot of experience, I've done maybe one or two deals. Yeah, not a lot of experience there. And if they come up with some very benign, oh, yes, it was an asset transaction with a deferred consideration, da, 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 da. You go, well, that's just bog standard, you know, stuff. Mm. But what it really does is puts you on a you know, on a on a higher level so for them to step up to you on a professional basis and conversation it yeah. makes them sit back and listen to you um, in the absence of that when you don't do that they will jerk your chain so to speak bit of a marionette you know trying to this is how it's going to work and give us your uh, your uh, your um, uh, proof of funding and all that kind of funds thing. your net worth statement yeah. you don't have to do any of that they want that because they deal, they're always dealing with smaller individual guys. You can explain to them, as I said earlier, our funds come a combination of my own net worth and those of my financial backers. Every deal is dealt with and reviewed on its on the merits on its own. Mm. I don't even know I want to buy this business right now, but once I we do, yeah, and we get the term sheet into you, I'll then follow up with a proof of funds for you. Yeah, that's how we operate. If you don't like it, we, we can next. move on. Yeah, next, yeah, yeah. And don't worry. So and that's the other thing. Don't don't. The other bit of advice would be. Don't get deal heat. I, 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 got, I got, I've had der terrible deal heat at times. I know I told you I had my first deal done. Um, this HVAC company in the UK, Jeremy Harbour, helped me acquire the company. Um, really great experience. And um, then we had another company go and see that particular day. And it didn't go through ultimately. But I spent over a year chasing this deal down. It's an IT company. I got my consulting mind hat on and i was 
modeling out all the things we would do, how we'd make work, this guy, how we turn this company around. Uh, they decided, oh, we'll try it ourselves. It, it, they failed miserably. And actually two years later, the business, uh, you know, did, uh, did collapse, you know, or less than that actually, uh, did go into insolvency and was wound up. Um, so deal heat, I wasted a lot of time on that. So knowing that there will be plenty of other deals to go along, come, to come along to. So don't worry about if, if uh, the deal doesn't quite work or uh, you're, you're, they're asking you, you feel like you're having to jump through loads of hoops and loops. You know, there has to come a point where you, you say, sorry, this is how we operate. Um, because they will, every time, the danger is that if you haven't built up that empathy and understand that relationship, you will probably have started by positioning the deal somewhat in their favor, because that's what you want to do. It's not, you're never really going to do anything to harm yourself knowingly. Um, but if it means the difference between getting the deal and not, you know, perhaps by adjusting the multiple up a little bit, including a little bit more of the assets in the company, um, you know, because, you know, I won't necessarily go into all the, the, the sort of um, valuation models that one might consider now, but uh, you can actually make something that looks on paper really good. But do you know what they'll do? Often it's not, they'll move the goalposts over a little bit further. So you keep on having to sort of realign the goalposts again, but you have to stop that at some point. You have to have the confidence to be able to say, sorry, this is as far as I can go on this deal and be happy and confident to say to move on. Yeah. Um, don't allow yourself to get deal heat because the opportunity cost is way too great. Yeah, no, interesting. I, I, in my experience of you know negotiating with people and on, on, on lots of transactions, I think that yeah, the, the, the best deals are where both parties walk away with a bit of pain, but both feel like it's the right deal to have done. And yeah, yeah that's exactly. kind of the way I always you know try and yeah. try and, and, and you feel, don't you, Matt? This this um, uh, feeling like the deals are flowing to you. It's yeah. very hard. It's very hard to sort of uh, you know you know, put that uh, quantifiably, yeah, but it's a gut feeling. Mm. It's like anything. If, if if you know everybody's in life, there'll be things that just experiences come to you, and you haven't had to work that hard. Maybe I'm just lazy. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I just like maybe I just like an easier life. But it's it's somewhat true. That's why we only work with people we like, trust, respect, and admire. Mutually speaking, yeah. Because if you don't, it's just hard work. Yeah. And you, it, there is work here. So if anybody tells you that you can do all of this sitting on the beach. And yeah. some of them are out people out there marketing and tell you that's true. It's that up absolute bullshit. Eventually, maybe you might build a team around you that you can have a lot more flexibility. And that's unlucky that I do have that. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm traveling you know, with COVID. Even with COVID, we're traveling around the world and uh, having fun and, and enjoying life at the same time. And everything keeps moving. But when you're starting off, you know, you, you're going to somewhat provide uh, or, or have some obligations you create with a, with a seller. When you're acquiring a company to the employees you know you can easily lose uh, a massive amount of value in the company if you haven't thought about the employee value proposition when you acquire the company then if you focused on just the owner the exiting owner and and forgot about all of the staff um you'll find very quickly they react to that they're nervous they're not not everybody takes change well as i think we know um they'll they'll um they'll you know they'll they're worried about their job security and they go well I, I, they'll jump and yeah. you, then you suddenly realize the fundamental con, uh, uh, the assumptions you made about the business aren't there. The revenues mm. are going, your, your best sales guys left mm. your general manager, the, the key guy who's stepping up is going to bridge that gap whilst the owner transitions out uh, yeah. has decided to move on. He doesn't like it. He, he, uh, and maybe there's resentment. He says, well, I'm leaving because John, the owner has just made a massive amount of money and, and, and just, off he went and left us here. Left, left, left me doing 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 all the hard work. The heavy lifting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's an interesting mindset often with um, employees like that, sure. uh, where they you know they one they don't like change and they also don't recognise the fact that business owners, entrepreneurs, um, it's one of the toughest things. It can have massive highs and massive lows. Mm. Uh, the opportunity cost is often really high for an entrepreneur. And that's another about these motivations we talked about. They often find that um, they've spent all of these uh, years building a great business and it's been a roller coaster of a ride. Um, but there's been loads of times where the employees got paid yeah. and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, they've, they're, and they're, they're home, every, like, everything's on the line. They've got these personal guarantees up to their eyeballs and higher. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's never appreciated by them. But, and, and more than that, you know, that 
responsibility of making them making sure that they get paid every week you know it's, yeah. it, 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 you know you have if you you have employees it can it can give you sleepless nights can't it it's um yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's, it's stressing I'm, I'm mindful of time because i know you've got a, a, a yes a hard yeah, I'm, I'm okay for a couple, a couple more minutes uh, sure, sure. so so on, on on a personal basis you know you've got a huge amount going on you know you're, you're working on lots of transactions at any time how do you find your kind of moment of zen and i can see the buddha behind you so that that's kind of maybe <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah um it, it's true say so i the way i've uh, put together our operating model here is that i'm um i'm sometimes surplus to um needs here because i've got a very scalable model so i, I basically can drop myself in at any different particular point um i've learned that um to understand what my true values are you know having fun adventure and discovery uh, and so whenever i feel that i'm not having a bit of fun or things are getting a bit harder i i, I kind of step back a little bit and and, and uh, disassociate from what's going on and say yeah, what's going on here what, what you now how do i make more fun it may be that i've just not been spending enough time with the family and sure. it's, this has happened you you end up focusing on your career or on uh, on life in certain things your, your, your businesses as an entrepreneur and if you're not careful you don't have that that work-life balance so i'm always focused on that to making sure that uh, i can um have that freedom and flexibility to go and spend time you know whenever he wants uh, um you know um and know that um that the, the plates as i mentioned are still spinning you know yeah. uh so for you know rest time for me you know is, is family time you know to be honest with you going out uh traveling we love traveling um going out doing some crazy sports and things like that you know love uh, parachuting love yeah, adventure sports equally just love uh, obviously we love skiing but uh also love just laying on the beach and just enjoying but visiting things and, and spending time together yeah. uh, and i think it's important you know yes you, you can get all the you can build up all the toys and um, fun things like that but ultimately it's about you know for me it's about having the capital to be able to uh have the lifestyle to be able to afford to travel and and uh, afford the things that you, you want to be able to do in life uh, and uh, but at the same time just enjoying the when when you have to roll your sleeves up enjoying that 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 you know I, I don't have now um you know i get up in the morning having conversations like this with entrepreneurs throughout the day um and then find one i've now got it after all these comes i've now got to do my my work <laughs> i have to get this job, job. all the actions done yeah so uh you know but that, that's, that's fine i enjoy it you know I, you know I, I if i if i need to work on a saturday or a sunday i do but then i know if i want to take off uh monday through to thursday next week i, I can do you know, yeah, and travel. It, it, that, that's the beauty of it. The, and it's if, if anything, um, it's about you know creating. Well, bad to be able to create wealth. Um, uh, you know, um, for for myself and my family is 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 one thing, but also just doing it, uh, helping other people, like entrepreneurs, being able to help them exit. Because you know, it, it comes back to you know um, the, the cathartically having you know um, yeah, enjoying what you do. Yeah, experiencing life uh, well, and actually knowing that you're you're paying forward in a way, you know. And I don't want to over sugar this, you know, but it is it, that is it's true. If you you can either tackle this whole uh, area with you know uh, very combatively, and some there's some people out there deal with it as being very uh, combative side, but you know we'll get the we'll, we'll screw the guy over to get as much uh, the best deal we probably can, and the hell with them. We don't do that, absolutely not, because you know it's all about uh, for us, you know, making sure that we're, we're you know getting solving the problem, getting the entrepreneur to their end number, creating that freedom and flexibility they're seeking, and arguably giving the biggest capital event they've ever uh, ever experienced, and probably is also their last shot sometimes yeah. at yeah. doing this. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, they they need they need to make this make this work in order for them to retire. And of course, the beauty of it is we're. Uh, we're inheriting that uh, legacy and we're carrying that baton and that plane and moving on uh, with it uh, without all of those startup type issues, you know, that, um, and as entrepreneurs, we love the gold, uh, golden penny, don't we, syndrome, where we love chasing the things. I, I fight with that every day to try and focus on, you know, things that we know which are tried and tested rather than actually constantly, because I've, I've got, so we have as entrepreneurs, don't we, so many great ideas but reality is it's very costly, very risky, you know, starting those. So this uh, late um, uh, mature businesses that you, one can acquire, uh, you're, you're, you're doing so in a way that solves a, you know, a 
uh, a problem for, for those entrepreneurs, giving, creating a, the wealth generation they're seeking, as well as solving that you know, emotional challenge they need, and at the same time, creating a really great uh, economic outcome uh, for yourself and your partners on the deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think yeah, we, you, you touched on this briefly earlier, and we probably don't have time to go into it now, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a huge, huge potential wave of these types of opportunities with the kind of baby boomer generation yeah. who are, you know, all, all looking to retire. And I think, you know, COVID may have accelerated that in some instances, yeah. you know, we've had lots of capital put into, put into companies and some of them won't be able to, you know, afford those repayments. So I think, yeah, certainly in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in the US as well. I think there's potentially lots of opportunities out there, which is, you know, part of the reason that I reached out because I think, you know, I'm, I'm always keen to learn about, you know, um, acquisition strategies and yeah, how, how these things can be can be put together. Absolutely. Um, well, invite me back, mate. <laughs> we can have, <laughs> we can have a, a part two and we can dive into a few more of those other things. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, no, cool. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, where, where can their viewers and listeners find you um, if, if they want to reach out? Yeah, you can, they can, they can drop, drop me a line at uh, craig.boddington at blackhousepe.com. Okay, perfect. And your uh, blackhousepe.com website, I'm assuming also. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay. Please like our podcast and subscribe today.